You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Disease to Shore podcast on fear-free veterinary care with Dr. Stacey Boswell. I'm your host, Carly Sisson, Digital Editor of Equimanagement. The Disease Du podcast is brought to you in 2024 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Stacey Boswell is a graduate of the Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine. She completed an internship at North Carolina State University and was a postdoctoral research associate in the Comparative Orthopedic Laboratory at Cornell University. Boswell then completed a large animal surgery residency at the University of Tennessee. She qualified for and passed a rigorous examination from the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and earned diplomat status as a large animal surgeon. Boswell is driven to make horses' lives better through both physical and mental well-being, and she has a strong interest in equine behavior. Working with patients in a low-stress way led Boswell to be a collaborative author for Equine Fear-Free Modules. Boswell is also the author of The Ultimate Guide for Horses in Need, Care, Training, and Rehabilitation for Rescues, Purchases, and Adoptions, which was published by Horse and Rider Books. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Boswell, to talk about fear-free veterinary care. Carly, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm very excited to talk about this topic because I think it's so important for both the well-being of our horses and practitioners. Do you want to start out by just giving us some background on what fear-free veterinary care is? Yes. And I have to be honest, like I get so excited talking about fear-free care. It has made such a huge difference for me in my day-to-day life and activities as a practitioner. I am currently in a mixed practice in Montana, and I previously was in a non-fear-free mixed practice. And the difference is like night and day for me. So Fear Free was started by Dr. Marty Becker, and it was started on the small animal side, and it's gained traction. Of course, we now have the Fear Free equine modules out, and there's lots of conversations in the equine veterinarian space about horse behavior and how to manage things. It's an educational platform whereby we have information available for veterinarians and staff, including receptionists, assistants, everybody that's involved in veterinary care. There's information available. There's a client-facing website called Fear Free Happy Homes so that clients can learn about what fear-free care is and how to do some cooperative care training at home. There's information for small animal pet groomers as well as shelter medicine. So they they really, Fear Free has done a really good job trying to encompass every aspect of where we interact with our domestic animals and our house pets. So I've really, really enjoyed learning so much. Fear Free Veterinary Care in the context of small animals started out with three core concepts of touch gradient gentle control, and considerate approach. And I'd love to talk about all three of those today. So the nice part about those three things, again, touch gradient, considerate approach, and gentle control, is that we can really apply them to all species. And so nearly all equine practitioners that have been working on horses for any number of years will be already using some form of touch gradient. It isn't as used as widely in small animal, but I really appreciate the way Fear Free talks about it and documents it so that we can teach it to veterinary students 
our technical staff and young practitioners without them learning the hard way and getting hurt. And so touch gradient is where you start off by touching the horse in a non-sensitive place. So for horses, that's at their withers um, or sometimes at their shoulders. And then you maintain contact with that animal's body while you continue to touch them. So I'm going to put my hand on their withers, give them a good scratch and say hello. And then I'm going to run my hand maintaining contact with their body until I get to where I want my stethoscope to be to listen to their heart. I continue to maintain contact while I listen to their lungs and listen to their abdomen. In this way, then we don't startle our patients. And by avoiding the startle response, we avoid a defensive response from our patients. We naturally do this with horses and and most of us do this already especially when we're picking up legs we touch our horse's shoulder or withers and we run our hand down the legs that way we don't scare our patients and so that's the simplest definition of touch gradient there's other places where we talk about using that in fear free for example when i use clippers on a horse i might touch my hand to the horse and my clippers to the hand I might touch the body of the clippers first to the horse. Then I might make sure, and this is while the clippers are on, right? Make sure that they're good with the sound of the clippers and the early vibration. Then I might touch the blades of the clippers to the horse without trimming hair. And then I might start trimming hair. And by doing everything in this gradual process where we slowly introduce things over time, that helps avoid a startle response. So that's touch gradient. Consider approach is the most difficult core concept to define because it encompasses like everything. So considered approach is just basically trying to make everything better from the horse's perspective. The corollary I can think of is in the livestock space. Temple Grandin has done a lot of work to make sure that we can see what the animals are seeing and she helps bridge that gap. For cattle. With our horse patients, we want to make sure that we look at all of the inputs from the environment, look at how this horse is responding to the environment, look at what we're doing and how we're approaching that horse. And considered approach involves all five senses. So, you know, does this medication taste bad? How can we make that better for our patient? What does our clinic or our hospital smell like? How does that affect our patients? What does this touch feel like to the patient? And so for that, for example, instead of using an 18-gauge needle for vaccines, I use a 22-gauge needle for vaccines and just trying to make everything better for the horse. So we're going to look at all five senses, the hearing, the sight, the smell, the taste, all of it, and try to figure out ways to make this like, how does this feel if you were on the receiving end of this? What would you do if this were your animal? Just being very empathetic to what our horses are seeing and hearing. So touch gradient, considerate approach, and then gentle control is how do we have our patients stand still enough for us to do the procedure that we need to do without overhandling them. So in the context of small animals, that comes across a lot as you don't need to scruff every cat. In the equine space, you don't need to twitch every single horse. And so a lot of times, especially with a young horse or a nervous horse, instead of trying to hold them tighter or make them hold still or putting the twitch on, sometimes what I do is go to, maybe we'll put them in the stocks so they can't move around as much. Um, If that's not an option, maybe we're going to use a stall instead of being out in the field. So we can do some things to sort of have them holding more still without us increasing what we are doing and causing physical pain to our patients. And then 
I'm going to hold a bucket of food up in that in front of that horse's face as a distraction. They're distracted by the food. They're eating. I can do the injection that I need to do. I even feed horses while I'm doing nerve blocks on them. I feed horses commonly while I'm doing vaccines. Whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to make it easier and better for the horse. But that's the concept of gentle control. Just the minimum amount of restraint you need to actually do the job. You don't have to go, you know, Mach 9 on everybody and get aggressive or rough with them, if that makes sense. Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. Merck Animal Health believes that if we all do right by the horse, we'll never do wrong. That's why they're driven by an unconditional commitment to the horse and to the veterinarians and communities who support them. From infectious disease tracking through the Equine Respiratory Biosurveillance Program, to building a sustainable profession through the Veterinary Wellbeing Study, to creating equine health products with the highest level of safety and efficacy, Merck Animal Health is unconditional. It's just who they are. Learn more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. I really like that approach because it seems like it would be so logical to implement, especially for horse owners to get on board with, because that's what so many people try to do with their horses already. And then hopefully it should make the job a lot easier for the practitioner as well. Do you want to talk about how a practitioner can start to implement this fear-free veterinary care process into a clinic environment? Yes. So I think clinics are especially difficult because horses arrive and it's a completely new environment for them. There are times when we talk about in fear-free, we talk about medical care in terms of medical needs. So that is a severe colic with a serious or another serious emergency versus medical wants. This client needs to go to a horse show next month and they would like to get a Coggins test. So we're going to sort those things out. Is this something that we absolutely need to do today or is this um, something that we can put off if we are having trouble, do some retraining and revisit again in a week or two? And so in the clinic environment, things that I can do, just looking at that considered approach, if two horses arrive together and honestly... I almost encourage people to bring two horses in when they're doing routine vet care, like dental floats. I'm going to keep those two horses with like as near each other as I can manage without being an interference, but they're going to stay within sight range and within vocal range of each other so that they still have their buddy and they still have an, a familiar friend. I definitely want to make sure that my hospital is cleaned, um, but I don't want the floor to be wet because that's difficult for horses. I want to make sure that my horses can come into the clinic, um, but I'm going to give them some extra time in that considered approach to take a minute and sniff the floor before they put a foot on it. I'm going to not rush them. And I think as horse owners and equine practitioners and just people that work in the equine space in general, it takes a few years to figure this out, but going slow actually results in going fast, right? If you try to rush things, it always takes three times as long as it needs to. And so just taking that extra time to slow down helps our overall clinic environment. So those are some places where in the within the context of a clinic to be aware of what we can do for fear-free. And I know you talked already about sometimes using stocks in the field, but do you have any other advice for practitioners working in a field setting where sometimes the environment's a little bit more uncontrolled than in a clinic? Sure. And I'm in Montana, so uncontrolled here might be a 50-acre pasture, right? So let's say we are in that 50-acre pasture situation. I don't necessarily 
go out and catch the horse and bring it away from the three other friends that are out there because that makes them really anxious. We might go out to where the herd is, work there where they are and leave them where they are. Or if we need to bring the horse into the barn for some reason, we're going to bring two horses. It's it's the same same idea. I don't generally have stocks in the field. Generally, my stocks are in my clinic, just just for what that's worth. And I have worked enough on the East Coast to be aware that many horses have not been asked to go in stocks or are not in stocks very often. And so if going in the stocks is going to cause stress, I don't go there. Like we can use sedation. We can do other things to make it easier for us to do our job. But in the field, I try to make sure it's actually easier because the horses are in a familiar environment. The human kind of has an idea of how they like to do things. And I recognize that there's more than one way to do things. And so sometimes the horse owners will take the lead a little bit. If I have a horse that is what we historically have labeled as a difficult horse. So if I have a horse that's very anxious about receiving veterinary care, I might ask that owner, what has worked well for this horse in the past? Like I make friends with the horses. In my practice, I sometimes see horses in other contexts. So I might see them out on a trail ride or at a horse show or at a friend's barn or whatever. And when I do that, I make sure that if I know horses and especially mules, if I know that they might someday be a patient of mine, I'm really careful to make friends with them and say hello and give them some good scratches without doing, you know, the noxious procedure that I might need to do later. So just again, really keeping track of those three core pillars, touch gradient, gentle control and considerate approach. They're, those are really broad categories, right? And they're meant to be broad so that whether we're in the hospital or we're in the field, we're in a situation that's difficult, like a trailer accident on the side of the road or something. We're still keeping those three core concepts in mind because that helps us be able to apply those core concepts no matter where it is that everything is situated. And I, I know just to, just to add a little bit to that, lots of equine practitioners are in mixed practice or actually like 50% of AAP members. Um, or if your mixed practice might see, you know, also the farm goat that is the companion for the two horses or or things like that. Just remember that Fear Free is really, it outlines everything in a nice way so that we can understand it and young people can learn it and use it. We want to learn about body language of the species that we're working on, but we can apply it to anything. Like if I need to do a foot trim on a goat, I can definitely have my technician feeding treats while I'm working on that pet goat. So for the adjunctive animals too, I think that's a really good place for people that are in equine practice, very, very comfortable with horses, but then you get asked to look at something while you're there on the farm and just keeping in mind that these core concepts apply to every species. That's great to point out. I imagine that most animal owners are very appreciative of this approach, but do you find that there's any sort of client education involved in this process to form them up to the idea? Yes. So client education is a huge component of Fear Free. Client education might be as simple as look at how your horse is pinning his ears and look at how his nostril is shaped. He's got a very tight lip and a very tight nostril while we are picking up this foot. He is uncomfortable, you know, maybe standing on the other foot. It's it's as simple as pointing out body language and horses can be, you know, they make facial expressions. And I think sometimes those of us that work around horses, we see those and we kind of like interpret them automatically. But when we take the time to point out the specifics to horse owners, then they can see things that they haven't noticed before. Or that's the most straightforward and common client education. 
I definitely have a subset of clients that come to me specifically for fear-free techniques. I have a horse in my practice that I've been seeing for the last five years that I've been in Montana. And he came to me having been at an academic university where no students were allowed to touch him. He got loaded in the stocks and he got twitched on his ear in order for them to get an intramuscular dose of sedation in him. I can do injections on this horse now. The owner still keeps a halter and lead rope on him. We feed him a treat and I use a small needle and he doesn't care. He's super happy. And so she continues to uh, bring other clients to me and see me year after year with that horse. I can think of two big mules and, you know, a handful of horses and a very opinionated pony that come to me specifically for fear-free techniques. So when you, as a practitioner, start embracing these techniques, you will get clients that really, really, really appreciate it. Um, They can see the difference that it makes in their horses. And if you point out the differences along the way, that helps them see it sooner. But that's what fear-free is really all about. We want to make sure that Everybody that's ever touching an animal learns more about animal body language. We read it, we pay attention to it, we take into consideration that animal's mental well-being. And, you know, there are certainly clients that push back a little bit. I definitely have an outfitter client that comes to me. He makes his living with horses. It's rough country here. And I did not know this because I've been seeing him for five years, but he said, you know, these are the only time they get treats. The treats I select in my hospital are actually the cubes that outfitters give when they're out in the backcountry. So they're basically big compressed alfalfa cubes with a little extra oats and stuff mixed in. Um, those horses all know how to eat those. And so they recognize it as food. So wherever your specific practice is and whatever your specific subset of horses is, we can work fear-free into just making the experience overall better for the horses, better for the people. It'll be better for everybody's staff and it keeps everyone happier. Well, this has been such a great discussion about a topic that I think is so important for veterinarians to consider. Do you have anything else you want to add on this topic or share about where veterinarians can learn more about the fear-free approach? Yes. So I highly recommend going to fearfreepets.com. And they have, if you do fearfreepets.com backslash webinars, about half of their webinars are open to the general public. So you can kind of take a sampling of some, most of the webinars are small animal oriented, of course, but it gives you an idea of what their content looks like. Fear Free is complementary, level one, their AVN, so the bird modules and the equine modules are complementary to all veterinary students, veterinary technician students and um, practitioners that are in academia throughout the U.S. and Canada. There's an extra form to fill out, but it's easy, and then Fear Free is free. And then if you want to get more information, you can sign up at fearfreepets.com. If you are looking for information to direct clients, again, that's fearfreehappyhomes.com. I'm easy to find on the internet. Shoot me an email. Find me on Facebook. I am always happy to talk about Fear Free with people. Great. And we will include links to all those resources in the article on equimanagement.com that accompanies this podcast. And we'll have information about how you can contact Dr. Boswell as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Boswell, for joining us on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And thank you to our audience for listening. And a special thank you to our 2024 sponsor, Merck Animal Health, who gives us the opportunity to have these discussions. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email at ccisson at equinenetwork.com. That's C-S-I-S-S-O-N at equinenetwork.com. 